nice. So I want to thank you for the cohort. It wouldn't exist uh, without your efforts and your uh, allowing it to take place. So thank you very much. Also, with all this going on, I just want to say I love you. I don't think we hear that enough. And I know I don't say it enough to those that I do love. First service, there are a lot of new faces, and there aren't quite so many new faces here. So it feels more comfortable a little bit for me here, and it may feel comfortable for you here. But uh, I love you, and thank you for loving my family and myself uh, and so many outside of these walls. <laughs> thank you. So last week, Justin preached a sermon known as the parable of a persistent widow. And during our work in the cohort, he actually said at one point, maybe it ought to be known as the parable of the two judges. So to understand these short parables, you've, you've got to see the context. It's more important than in other scriptures. Is it picking me up? Okay. And today, we've got the parable known as the wise and foolish builders. So let's think about judges in our context today a little bit. I've been a police officer basically my whole adult life, and I've had court time and time in courts more than I care to admit and more than the average person. Now, judges, they're interesting. They're an interesting group of characters. They're kind of like a throwback, a rare throwback, to a more formal time. They wear robes, and we address them as your honor. They come in, and they have hired security that are armed. They have their own entrance to this massive room where they have complete control. Their occupants of the whole room stand until the judge says, you may be seated, and then everybody will sit. They make weighty decisions on criminal matters like assaults and murders, and maybe even weightier decisions on divorce and family matters and child custody agreements. Now, they also decide who may go free and who may go to prison. Or who will do well with a series of months on probation? Judges are to be knowledgeable, and they are to be neutral. And they're to have experience in court prior to taking that bench. A very interesting group. I really wondered what goes on behind the scenes often. Now, in my experience, good judges talk to people. I don't mean what we see in the movies where they slam the gavel and say something loudly. And I also don't mean the little sidebar that happens that's legalese between a couple of lawyers and people with law degrees. I mean they talk to people. They understand their influence and their power with other people. They understand that every defendant in front of them, there's a mom that's scared to death that their son or daughter is going to prison. There's a dad that's scared to death that son or daughter is going to not go to prison and continue the life of destructive behavior. There's young children that are affected. Those judges understand that when those defendants do better, those children will do better. Because of this, they speak at sentencing. And judges will often plea, good judges will often plea with the convicted to change their ways, encourage them, and make them better choices. Today, I want to start by saying, in a sense, that's what we've got here in our text, sort of. 
we do have a judge talking to the guilty. The judge is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together to come under your word. Lord, I pray that every soul here today hearing this would do just that. Humble themselves and come under your word. Lord, I pray that I would be under your word as I speak your word. Do not let anything come from me that is not under and through your word by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we also pray for the brokenhearted that may be here today. That here me be humble and have a false sense of humility and just think they are crushed and broken. Lord, there is hope for them and they are loved mightily by you. So encourage them to hear these words today. In Christ's name, amen. Yep, the judge we're going to talk about today, not really like current judges or judges of any other time. Earlier in this sermon, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as we're studying the conclusion, but the beginning says, seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. So imagine, if you will, somebody struggling that you care about. Imagine a judge putting aside the robes and hired security and titles and professional distance and sitting in perfect humility with that person. How overjoyed would you be for that loved one? What hope and encouragement would you have that a judge took the time for your son or your daughter or your sister or brother to really help, to really spend time? A judge that could understand your loved one, a caring and honest judge that could affect the behavior of that one as you have not been able to do. This context of our parable this morning is the end of one of these very talks between not a judge, but the judge. The judge is God, and he will judge every human soul ever created by his Father. But yet, he sits on this simple hill and teaches and promises and loves and finishes this talk with these people that he's willing to die for. And he gives them some very clear, very powerful warnings. If you know this judge as judge, and you consider this judge your Lord and Savior, I pray you'll be refreshed this morning in your hunger and knowledge for him and your hunger for the righteousness that he teaches in this sermon and throughout his word and that he actually lived out here on this earth. And those that do hunger for righteousness, true righteousness, know their only hope of attaining it is in this judge, Christ. Those that hear and obey him are wise builders. Jesus calls all to hear him. And then today, he did it then and he's doing it now. Stop building your lives foolishly and to become wise builders. A wise builder obeys, and he obeys on purpose. The wise builder doesn't just hear something and haphazardly start building his house. Nope, there's work to be done prior to building, prior to putting up walls if you want the building to last. 
A builder knows that the hard work of getting the foundation right will pay off in the long term. The house with a solid foundation is the house you would want to be in when the floods and rains and winds come. The wise builder has a source of information that is reliable, proven, and understood. And they use this to start the building process. A wise builder understands what the house has to sustain. They need to know how much the force is going to be behind any storm that may come and could inflict on this structure. And they make sure that their structure they build will persevere through that wind and storm. Now, once a builder has the information and experience that they need to become wise, they realize that value and necessity of building a house on a solid foundation, and they commit to that. If they truly get how vital and a sturdy beginning is to the rest of their house, they're not easily convinced to spend time on anything else. There is a dedication and appreciation for the solid foundation that affects the rest of their work because that's what it's because what it's attached to is true and level. Now these these warnings Jesus teaches at the end of this sermon make clear. We will all be judged and the sentence will be severe for any that are relying on anything but God's word and obedience to it. Now hear this. There is solid ground. There is a solid plan. Blueprints for you and me for a life that will ultimately keep us safe from any winds, rains, or floods. You can be in storms and waves and winds and pain, and no matter their strength or how big they look, there is solid ground which you may stand. We need this. The world needs it. I need it. You need it. We need to be reminded of that truth every day. With that being said, it can be really easy to read Proverbs and learn about these things and just quickly identify a fool. We're likely to assess people in our own lives simply as fools. Maybe we'd even say a prayer for them. And that'd be about it. Listen, folks, that's not Jesus' attitude at all. As a matter of fact, this parable recorded for us shows his attitude is the exact opposite of ours sometimes. Everyone is building houses. Everyone has a life that they're living, and therefore everyone is building a house. Jesus wants us asking, could we, could you be building foolishly? Could you be building a life that will not stand those storms? Building something that will not last is nothing to be taken lightly. What we choose to build our homes on matters much. What we choose to build our lives on matters more than anything else. This parable and the other warnings that Jesus closes his sermon with declare with authority, if our lives are not built on God's word, which results in the obedience to that word, we will fall, and that fall will be great, great in a horrific, terrible way. If we do not build on the solid rock of God's word, we will spend eternity in hell apart 
from the righteous, caring, involved judge that provided a way for us to spend eternity with him and eternity enduring the fruits of our efforts here and now. The consequences of our foundations are immense and dire. It's very common for people to hear Jesus' words and get to work. Many know they need a savior and they call Jesus as their savior. They build houses provide, to provide shelter, right? Shelter is necessary. So they go to work on building something to protect them from storms. In general, going to work is attractive to us, especially when we can build something quickly, easily, that'll be done in no time. Christ's teaching is that that type of building is common. But our observations and experience also tell us that it's common. Many have disregarded this judge and his warnings. Adam and Eve, in the beginning, disregarded this judge and his warnings. So many go building a life for decades that has no ability to stand up in the storms. Not any more ability to stand up in those storms than my daughter that builds a little sand hut at the beach with a towel and a few sticks. We, some, we often don't even consider what storms are coming and what that solid foundation would need to be to handle these storms. And there's a myriad of reasons why, and the Bible doesn't take any of them lightly. But God is patiently and kindly giving these four warnings at the end of this sermon because he knows us. He knows us foolish humans. All of these warnings have two options, only two options. And they start in verse 13 and go through our scripture today, 27. So there are two gates, a wide gate that many take and provides access to an easy way. And that easy way leads to destruction. Jesus starts at the verse of 13 and he tells his listeners, orders them, enter by the narrow gate. And that gate is hard, but leads to life. There are two types of prophets. Those who look like sheep, but are actually wolves and bear bad fruit. And prophets who are from a healthy tree and bear good fruit. The next warning makes it clear there are two types of followers of Christ. There are false followers who say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, and do works in his name that never knew him and will be separated from him. And there are true disciples who know Jesus and whom Jesus knows and who do the will of his father. And finally, there are two types of builders, wise and foolish builders. If you have questions about the Christian faith, and specifically these truths we're going over today, you're not alone. You may not even be alone in this room today. You may not be alone in your families. Listen, this judge, Christ, understands your doubts. He understands your temptations. He's willing to guide you through. He's guiding you through by sitting on that mountain 2,000 years ago and teach this to them then and us now. Just humble yourself and seek the truth. 
This temptation and tendency to minimize and misunderstand God's judgment and its consequences is common. And many earthly smart people do not understand or appreciate its reality and gravity. Jesus says to people, while speaking of eternal life, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. Please, never think this verse is not true. It is true. And it's terrible for the foolish. People walking and working daily who live their lives and think they are headed in a good direction. And they are not. Many people walking and working their way to a wide gate. And they learn at the end their walk took them to the death, destruction, and eternal separation from the Lord. We hear so often, regardless of how someone lives or what they put their faith in, that they are good enough to go to heaven or in a better place. I myself have foolishly put my trust in my own righteousness and my judgment of myself based on my definition of goodness and righteousness. Me. A simple human man. All Christians, though, were once foolish. Foolish builders, relying on their own good deeds. That's why Jesus, earlier in this sermon, he preached to his audience. He said, hey, listen. Your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes. We can read that here and now and not really get it. This must have sounded titanic it must have sounded harsh and drastic but now we have the whole bible we can kind of see how much power and influence these people that have memorized scripture and gave these long flowing prayers and dressed ornately how they looked and then this young man shows up and he just started teaching in the synagogues and performed some miracles and then he says, people, these Jewish leaders you've been watching for generations and generations, they do not have a righteousness sufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. Further, people, if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven either. Now, we're not taught these people are openly hostile to God. They were interested in God's word, and at least to some degree following the Jewish law and the Bible that they had at the time. But the Bible makes it clear these institutions weren't a fad or a craze. So these people saw their leaders as their rabbis and their teachers of the law, the things of Yahweh. But when we hear Jesus in 2020 rebuke these leaders, it's very different. The other thing is we're probably not Jewish, more than likely. These leaders were part of God's chosen people, Israel. And just that meant to them they were God's children. And by that we're part of God's kingdom. Now I say all that to say this. Not any part of this is a joke. Or not weighty. Or easy for any member of that crowd to listen to without humility and a willingness to receive. The religion that Jesus is referring to of that day that used the name of his father had become a path to destruction. And similarly, sadly, similarly, we have similar religions today that say we're a Christian 
or a Christian religion, and they're headed to the same fate. Now, as I studied this Gospel of Matthew a little bit during my preparation, this concept of momentum was, really became powerful. See, a large object, the larger an object is, the harder it is, and the faster it's going, the harder it is to stop it or to have it change direction. This religion of the scribes and Pharisees was powerful for the scribes and Pharisees, clearly, but also for the people that were listening and, teach and being taught by it. It had been going on for generations, and that teaching was off course, kind of like the Titanic, really. It's massive, powerful, lots of outward beauty, right? Looks amazing, but it's got a fatal flaw. It's been headed in the wrong direction with leaders that didn't understand, didn't have a solid understanding of the destructive forces they were, it was headed to. Let me ask you a few questions about momentum. Where has momentum been taking you in your life? Where has it taken you in the past? Where has it taken you today, this morning? Is the culture in the world dragging you somewhere? Has your flesh been having its way far too long? Is there an ungodly person in your life that in a sense has become the size of the Titanic and is driving you right to an iceberg that'll surely destroy you? If so, know this. It's not because you're dumb or worthless. Listen, Jesus' teaching here is clear. Many are on a path to a gate that leads to destruction. Many smart people foolishly building lives on sand. This power of evil is attractive and common and has much success in the here and now. We can easily deceive ourselves into taking an easy path that looks to ourselves and others is a path to the narrow gate, when in fact it is not. Self-deception and building on a life on sand is common and powerful. What's the cure? What's the way to prevent us and others from facing this consequence of life that will not stand? The answer really this morning comes from the parable itself. See, once that wise builder knows the how and why of building on the rock and has the experience of appreciating the house that is true and straight and will last, that is exactly what they will continue to do. They appreciate building a wall that, will build, that is built on something solid and flat. If you ask a builder with integrity to build a house on sand, they won't. I've done it. They will refuse short-term financial success and security because they will not build on something that is not going to last, that will not handle the flood, that will not handle winds, that will not handle any storm. They won't do it. Now think about how I started today. This story of this judge, Jesus. Now let's think about the rest of the story. Jesus had a bigger and better room than any judge here in New York City or anywhere else. This judge had more protection and separation from crime and evil than this world has ever known. 
Yet he came down. He entered the sin-ridden world to save it. He removed himself from glory and prestige and honor and peace. And he came. He came in humble human form. He taught and loved and proved he was a righteous, caring, worthy judge to save. He warned the guilty over and over and over again of his judgment and taught what needed to happen to each person on their day of judgment. Now, that's an amazing story just to this point in the book of Matthew, but it gets more amazing. This judge sits and stays with the guilty. The guilty then ridicule him and beat him and strip him. And they don't have any credible charge or witness. Then he's beaten and he's hung on a cross by the guilty. And he dies the death meant for the guilty. For the sake of saving the guilty. Then he rises from the dead and continues to teach and love and serve and warn these foolish builders. The foolish builders, they've always been. Then he teaches us he's going to build a place for us, for his children, for those that will do his will and obey his word and what he's taught. He actually becomes the ultimate wise builder and builds eternal houses for all of us who truly receive him. Brothers and sisters, if you know that judge as judge, you obey that judge. You gladly build your house here and now, build your life on the solid rock of his word now. That judge and what he says becomes the who, the what, the when, the where, the why of your life, of your breath, of your love, your adoration, your worship. Listen, we are that are converted, that are Christian. We're going to hunger for this righteousness and we're going to discern this foundation that's revealed in God's word. Church, we are to be united. We are to encourage each other to walk in the ways taught in this Bible. We're to stir one another up for love and good works. Non-Christian, anybody that thinks they could be deceived. First, thank you for being here and listening to us this morning. Please consider with us this morning the words from this book. Let me say this, this judge that I've said will be your judge one day, whether you like it or not, he can be your advocate. He can be your advocate. And you need truth, like it or not, and you will stand before that advocate. But he's available. And listen, there's good news. You have not disqualified yourself. You have not. You've never committed a crime that this judge hasn't already paid for. When you simply humble yourself and put your faith in him. Now, the Lord did use this chapter of his word mightily in my life and in my conversion. But there are some hard teachings here. They're worth your thoughtful prayer, your thoughtful consideration. During my search, I really hope the promise in this sermon was true. 
I didn't know if it was true or not. But that promise was made by my creator and yours. If you seek, you will find. Listen, folks, the members of this church and me would love nothing more than to be part of your search party, to search out and see if what God promises in this word is true. He promises to provide your answers. Okay, a couple more points, we'll finish. This scripture is referred to as the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And I've said the word fool or some form of it a bunch of times. Earlier in this chapter, same chapter, Jesus says, hey, don't judge and warns if we do. That being said, biblically, there are times when, some, when, when helping someone learn that they are indeed a foolish builder is in no way judging of them and actually is the most loving thing you could do for them. A person deceived into wrongly thinking they are part of God's kingdom when they are not needs to become wise. And part of becoming wise is to realize you're a fool. Also, foolish builders. Some of you think you're not worth a search party. You don't think you're worth a search party, let alone the time and sacrifice of a perfect judge. I think of a woman that's, or women that have been abused for decades and are going 100 miles an hour for everybody else. And I've met and talked to a lot of those. They don't think they're worth the time to sit down with a Christian sister or a friend and consider this judge or look at his word. Let me be clear. You're worth it. Look at Christ and what he's done for you. He knows you and he wants you to be his child. Don't ever be a judge, your own judge. You're not capable of being the judge that can handle that. Don't ever throw a guilty verdict on yourself and say I'm guilty and hopeless. Ever. That is a lie. Now, also, please don't turn your back on God because of any one person or any group of people even. Remember, there are false prophets and they are real and they have dangerous powers and they often look like harmless sheep. Open a Bible and see Christ for yourself. Speak with someone who boasts in God and God alone. Boast in someone, uh, listen and talk with someone that shares truth with you, but in love. Church, we are always to be building on a solid rock and we can do better. We will not be salt and light if we spend our time building on anything on sand. If we take our time and our treasure and our talents and start putting up walls that are on sand, we won't be salt and light to the world. 
And just like a carpenter that is wise and builds on a solid foundation, we should refuse all that is not part of a life of obedience to Christ. Church, Jesus loves these foolish builders. And so do we. Or maybe so should we. Church, a wise builder is no better than a foolish builder and therefore has no business judging the person with great struggles in their life. Church, there are foolish builders in your life. There are foolish builders struggling and building in sand, and they probably don't even know it. They're going 100 miles an hour to save a marriage or deal with addiction or even having great success in a worldly sense, and everybody around them is raving about how wonderful the things they are doing are. They don't have any firm footing. They don't even have a chance to start restoring it because they don't know this foundation that we do. Some of them are calling Jesus Lord and are deceived and headed through that wide gate. And when they get to that wide gate and finish their path and finish their life, they're going to hear from the judge, Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Church, Lord, let it not be our comforts or our customs or our culture that stops us, stops our mouths from loving, telling people of Christ, of his grace and his mercy and his authority and, yeah, his judgment.